Welcome to the Premium Property Podcast. Created by two beginners, it is the perfect listen for those of you who are just finding your feet in the property industry. We will ask questions that other beginners, just like us, have been waiting to hear, and we will be learning along with you. I'm Harley. And I'm Guy. And this is the Premium Property Podcast. Hi there everyone, welcome back to another Premium Property Podcast. On this week's episode we sit down with Daniel Budden and we discuss everything to do with serviced accommodation. We also speak a lot about business partnership as well and then we touch upon uh, some of Daniel's sailing as well and hopefully he can bring back a gold medal in the 2024 Olympics. So yeah, we hope you guys enjoy this episode. We don't know too much about SA so we definitely learned a lot and we hope you guys can learn too. So yeah, enjoy. Hi Dan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on today. We think what you're doing in property at such a young age is, is really, really inspiring. And obviously with all the sort of different things you're doing outside of property as well, which I'm sure we're going to cover off. Yeah, we think what you're doing is amazing. So yeah, welcome. Uh, cheers, man. I appreciate you having me on. I think, yeah, it's, um, I think to be honest, like right back at you, like what well, you lads are putting in like some serious craft and like I can see you going on social media and you're just like, putting your heart and soul into it and everyone who's i spoke to i've been like you know what yeah premium property is going somewhere and like you lads are going somewhere so it's sick to see you lads just like having this podcast like doing everything you're doing on a day-to-day basis it's good to be on happy that you've uh let me come on yeah i feel a bit privileged to be honest <laughs> yeah amazing cheers for the kind words as well dan um yeah so obviously i'm sure a lot of people sort of know who you are already and what what you do in property but for those who <clears throat> aren't sure um what who you are and what you do would you be able to just tell us a bit about yourself and, yeah, yeah for sure so basically um my aim thing i'm a professional sailor as part of the british sailing team um campaigning for the olympics in paris 2024 um alongside that obviously i'm a property investor who basically co-founded 53 degrees property which now has basically two like strands to i guess the essay business and then the property investment slash sourcing business. Um, that's basically like what I do. And then like the goals in terms of like my aspirations at the moment, are obviously the gold, gold medal in Paris 2024 to get that would be a dream come true. So obviously what I worked on a day to day basis. And then it's like the reason I'm doing the property anyway, is to help a lot of other people out. So help out investors uh, and then also have that passive income so that when I do eventually finish sailing, whatever that may be, I'll obviously have, can do my own individual investments and obviously I can build. And I imagine I'll just go go on and on from there as we do. And then a bit on the side, I coach um, I coach some kids as well, like younger youth sailors through the pathway and stuff. Is a bit of extra income here and there. But a day in the life is pretty much, yeah, like um, I'll sail probably three to four hours a day, uh, Monday to Thursday or Monday to Friday, um, travel the world, which is great. And then obviously profit property investor by night or by whenever whenever that is around the sailing time but yeah that's a bit what, a bit about what I do uh, but yeah the main focus at the moment is just yeah the service accommodation property source and such investment side of things so yeah yeah amazing and I think sort of as you said there you you're a really busy guy and with your sailing I'm sure that takes up a lot of time so how would you 
what sort of tips do you have for someone that maybe does have a busy career and they are looking to get into property so yeah what sort of things do you focus on when you are working in property and how do you prioritize it essentially to make sure you get the most important tasks done yeah so like ultimately like sailing for me does take priority and that's not to say that i'm not going to be like prioritize my investors or anything like that but like for myself it does take priority obviously the goals at this point in time paris 2024 is the dream um but i can't sail every single debt like every single hour of every day so i do actually have some free time um and basically like the way i deal with it is basically having a team in place uh, meaning obviously the property side doesn't flip and then like luckily for sailing our calendars are like we pretty cemented pretty far out so i kind of know when i'm going to be sailing but day-to-day kind of stuff it's just being having a bit of you know like positive about yourself like i obviously read a lot of like self-help books and stuff like that but like day-to-day i'll wake up quite early um i'll basically plan what i'm going to do that day so i'll have like three priorities for the day that if I can get done around my sailing, then that's going to like make the biggest leap in my property journey. And um, whether that'll be, I'll have this investor calls or whether it'll be a new service correlation unit or an analysis or whatever. I'll basically prioritize with my business partners, of course, um, basically what is going to make the biggest leap forward in my property business. And then from there, I'll just really, when I'm not sailing, focus on that during the day. And I think it is a lot of like planning, but, like with university and stuff, it's nothing in comparison. It's probably probably same. It's actually probably the same. I just enjoyed it so much that I thought I'd just carry it on. It's just like a lot of planning and just sticking to it. And I think one of the important things is like you'll soon realize, I think, uh, if you like love it and like if you actually want to do it, because you'll be surprised at how much you end up just doing because you're enjoying it so much. And like, obviously, sometimes it's going to be harder than others, but it's just about when it is harder, like still why are you doing it? Like, what's the actual goal? And like the priorities kind of come for me from, because obviously I'm limited on time and stuff. It's like, especially when I was first starting out, it was like, if you had a full-time job or whatever, what is going to make the biggest leap forward in your property business that day? Because you can't do like everything. And that's something I learned. I'm sure we'll get onto, but you can't like, you can't just do loads, 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 loads. You just, you got to really prioritize what's going to make that biggest leap forward. So, and like I said, that can be anything from, a really important investor call or a deal that needs to get sent out ASAP or whatever. Um, and it's just working with the business partners to do that really. Yeah, definitely. I think that is so key in making sure you sort of have that, you know exactly what is going to drive your business forward more than anything. And then you can prioritize those key tasks and actually sort of push the business forward whilst also working if you've got a job or like you doing your sailing as well. So yeah, I think that's, that's really key. And obviously you said you wake up quite early as well. So in terms of sort of productivity, obviously everyone has sort of different times in the day when they are most productive and they, they're the most creative. So for you, how did you actually go about sort of finding that time out? Have you found that time out? And if so, yeah, how did you go about working out when you are most productive and what sort of tips would you have for someone in order to work that out? Yeah, so like it's something I thought about for quite a while and like during when I first started the property and sailing, I burnt out like pretty quick in terms of I was sailing pretty, obviously I always sail pretty hard. That's the main priority in, life, in my life at the moment. So I'm always pushing that to the limit. And then I was loving the property so much that I was just doing so much of it. 
ultimately I burnt out and I had to have like two weeks off of sailing, really step back from property as well. And I was just like, what went wrong there kind of thing? And it was ultimately, I was just doing way too much for the time I had. And I, I was also not really listening to my body and the fact that, like you said, everyone has like peaks and troughs throughout the day. And like a book I read really recently, it's actually like really like changed my whole perspective on everything was a book called When. I think it's um, it's around in my room somewhere, but I think it's by, it's like Daniel Blink, I think it is. I think it's on my, when, no, Daniel Pink it is, someone, so Daniel Pink. And it's like amazing. I mean, it's here. It's, uh, that's it. It's basically, uh, it's a really good book. It's called When. And it basically like goes through the peaks and troughs and it like really like reading it, it was like, People in the app for like early birds, like you say, I wake up pretty early. I mean, it's not like ridiculously, I'm not like 5 a.m. club kind of deal. It's like half six, seven, you know, but it's like from seven till around 12 31. I know however long I can extend that period, it's like incredibly productive. And I noticed that I get straight into the routine after waking up. I can just crack on, crack on, crack on, little breaks here and there. But ultimately, that's so productive. And then when it gets to like, I don't know, like if, if for example, I'm going for like a day where I'm not sailing, for example, so like to get my actual peak and trough, gets like the afternoon when it's found, I don't know, I just have to lunch or something. If I find it so hard to get back into a rhythm and it's not like, I, I think what I used to do was force myself to do things. I just slog it out. And actually it was like, that was pointless because it was, I was either doing stuff that was like, it was, very, I was doing it very slowly in it, like to below par. I wasn't enjoying it because it was, I didn't really want to be doing it at that time. And it just felt like really hard. Well, and then after like 5.36, I then rebound and I can work until like 12 o'clock at night. And then I'm like really going again. So it's, and like reading that book, I was literally like, then there's like three different types of people. So if it's like, if it was like a night owl, early bird, and there's like a, a the lark or something. Um, and basically like it goes through, yeah, peaks and troughs. And like, I definitely recommend it for anyone who thinks they can't find when they're productive. Um, working out, yeah, when you are productive. Like I... For example, now knowing that, I know that if I say on the afternoons, that's perfect because that's when I can't focus on work anyway. Um, so it really means I can plan around that and like you can plan around, plan around those troughs. So if you want to get fit, for example, something I do now is like, oh yeah, I'll just do my exercise in the afternoon after lunch or at that, that period or planning the rest time. Like I'll just chill out for that time. So I know I'm going to smash work in the evenings or I'm going to get productive in the morning. And I think it was just something that, yeah, only since reading that book, to be honest, which is like, I mean, that was literally like this this month. I really like dug into it and was like, actually, it's not, it's okay not to like be productive at times. You just got to listen to your body. I think the way I burnt out was I just didn't listen to it. So like, you know, read that book if you want to, if you want to know and uh, like learn a bit more about it, but recognize that your body does go through peaks and troughs. And just because someone else is working at 5am in the morning doesn't mean that you work at 5am in the morning, you know, like some people, most like successful people can be they might work like 10 p.m till i don't know like 12 p.m or something or just like normal day hours and it's just like for example i, I try not to work although i could i try not to work after like nine o'clock or like half eight eight o'clock just to try and give myself that downtime like forced rest i think it's a massive one if you are going to burn out um but yeah i'd say yeah recognizing you have peaks and troughs and just like embrace them almost if you're going to be unproductive, there's no point in trying to push through it um, unless it's like a really needed task to do, but I'd recommend not doing that very often, you know, making sure you do have that downtime. Yeah, definitely. I think that book sounds really good. And yeah, I feel like 
everybody is so different with the stages where they work and where they work at the best. And it is just about, like you said, listening to your body and making sure that you are taking the breaks when you, when you feel that you need to. Um, Because I mean, I'm the same as you, like from sort of 6am to 12 o'clock, that's when I'm most productive, uh, productive and I have the most energy. And then after sort of 12 after I've eaten some lunch that's when I find it hard to get back into it whereas Guy Guy is sort of the opposite Guy is way more productive during the evenings and he's more of a night owl so yeah I think it is obviously I think there's a common perception that every entrepreneur gets up at 4am and smashes the day and does like all their tasks before 12 o'clock whereas it's just how you work and the best way that you work really. So yeah, that's a really, really good point. No, definitely. And like, it's like really interesting that book, there's loads of different studies and like one of them is for example, like in the afternoon, there's like a, an average person does dip and it's just like recognizing that. Um, and it's just, yeah, like you say, it's just, you know, when you're not being productive and it's like loads of people push through it and it's normally like you say in the afternoons or in the mornings for some people, whatever it is. And it's like, don't force yourself to do something else. You're not going to do it well. Um, so yeah, for sure. And then like, going back to that prioritized thing as well, it's just like, don't just do something because it's like easy as well. Like when you are productive, make sure you're doing the hard stuff. Like in what the book called Eat That Frog or whatever it's called. Um, eat the, yeah, I think it is. And yeah, obviously take the big task first. Um, I think that's a massive thing, recognizing. Because in the unproductive times, you could probably do the boring task if you were working, you know, you could do the easy stuff. Um, so just like you can plan it around pretty nicely yeah definitely and I think there's something else that's quite important with within productivity rather is I mean we did a post about it a couple of days ago and it's about productivity guilt and it's in the fact that if you're not working so if you're having downtime and you're not working you almost just feel like a slump whereas like like you were saying it's good to almost have that downtime to in a sense listen to your body um, allow you to recharge and then just go back at it the next day so I think that's really really important as well no, I, I saw that post and was like, that is genuinely such a good post because like literally I resonate with it so much. Like I worked through all this unproductive time and that's why I burnt out. And I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, what's, what's happened? And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's just like always now, like if I'm going away for a weekend to chill out, I will chill out, you know, like I'll make sure that we've done enough work so I can go away for the weekend kind of thing. And like recognizing that you don't have to work until the, the, middle of the night to achieve your goals you know yeah definitely and I think it's it's just really important to like you said to just have that downtime and almost try and take a step back when needs be but um but yeah again I think a lot of pe- people in like the community were in do struggle with that which is not good but as long as they acknowledge it and try and fix it then yeah so um, it's really really important but um moving on to the SA side of things then so something obviously you um do a lot about within property which is good um one of the i want to say the toughest things but one of the main things that people in a sense need to get right when getting into sa is finding out the nightly rate and how much they're going to be charging for their property and a lot of people will go onto the comparables whether that's like air dna and whatnot but um how would you in a sense work out that nightly rate in a sense that you know it's going to rent out but you know it's going to leave you profit, but it's going it's, it's almost as conservative as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah. So 
obviously we all have like our, our deal analyzers and such and like that's massively important for any any deal you're going to be doing whether it's SA, HMO, whatever. Um, having a good deal analyzer that includes all the costs is obviously massively important. Um, and then factoring in like worst, I always factor in worst case scenarios. So like making sure you put in your OTA fees, like um, making sure that you've done like like two cleans per week, for example, factoring that in. Like what's that going to cost you? What's the linen going to cost you? Like making sure, first off, making sure you analyze as sweet as, so that when you put the nightly rate in the analyzer, you know it's going to be legit. Um, and what we do as well is break even at 50% occupancy. Um, and to be honest, like Mike answers later, it's like nightly rates, what's basically like what is, that's what makes or breaks a deal in SA, like the nightly rate. And the way I work it out is going on to our DNA, like you said, um, go on to our DNA, look at the other properties in the area. And you can get, you can either go on to our DNA, actually purchase it, or you can just go on and type in the actual location. But take into account what the clean, like the clean costs you. So like a lot of people see our DNA numbers. So it comes up as 135 pounds and they'll just take that as their number. But actually if a, every clean, for example, if you don't charge the same amount that it costs you. So like if you're charging 45 pound a clean on Airbnb, but it costs you 55 pound to clean, every clean costs you 10 pounds. And on our DNA, you just need to take that 10 pound off. Um, if it, if every clean costs you zero, cause you, um, basically charge the the guest exactly the same as you get charged then that's fine but just make sure that you do take it off because DNA doesn't take it to account but um yeah go on DNA and then go on to airbnb booking.com and just do like a quick check over on what other properties are and then when you get and then there's also what i use as well it's called price labs so that's what we get on to where it's like occupancy pricing but they do also have like a really good data analysis of like one bed, two beds, three beds, four beds. You can choose an area, basically. It's called a market dashboard. And that's included in your price labs thing, like price lab subscription. And you can choose your area and it will just give you like the average rates, the highs, the lows of like throughout the whole year. And ultimately, like when, if you're going for, if you're going to an area for the first time, it is going to be a bit of trial and error. But if you do your essay up top notch, better than everyone else's, and then you price it the same as theirs and you're going to get bookings, you know, like, that's where I kind of see it. Like if you're going to do it, you've really got to know what your market is as well. Like, for example, we have properties in Chester and we have properties in Crewe. Now the markets are like totally different. Obviously at the moment with COVID, there's like a lot of like, it's a lot of business clients, but usually Chester's very like leisure dominated. Um, now Crewe, probably not going to be as leisure dominated because it's Crewe and it's probably just more contract space, business space. So it's like, that's going to affect your pricing a lot as well. Um, and then you can kind of look into if it is contractor based, like you can start doing your property for contractors rather than leisure guests. Whereas if you're in like a upmarket leisure area, then it's like make sure your property reflects that. Uh, and like knowing that from the off will also like help determine the nightly rate. But I think it is a lot. If you if you don't have that many properties already, or you don't know anyone who has properties in that area, initially it's going to be a bit of trial and error, or at least seeing what's on the market already, checking people's availability calendars, see if they're actually getting bookings. That's one thing. Like you can go on Airbnb and look at someone's property and be like, well, that's empty for the next three months. That's probably a bit too high or that's, that's really full. That might be a bit too low. Usually if you go on Airbnb smart pricing, it's just going to be like way too low because they just want you to get loads of bookings. Um, so I definitely say use DNA, like scan the platforms, maybe get three or four, maybe get like three, similar properties but once you start getting a feel for the area 
when you start getting your research done and you actually get one property, it's about you can change the rates all you want across the across the counter and you can kind of see what works. Like we usually get bookings like two weeks out. Um, it's like 14 day booking period, basically. Um, and then you can kind of, if you're not getting them, you can kind of lower higher and you can kind of negotiate that. But there's lots of tools out there. AirDNA, Price Labs is what my main two that I'll use. But going on to Airbnb and Mucking.com and just seeing people's calendars, seeing what nightly rate they're on that are similar to your property. Yeah, definitely. And I think you've just touched upon some really, really good points on how you can almost stand out in a very competitive market, like you were saying, obviously, um, reasonable pricing, but at a high quality. I think that's one of the best ways to stand out. And like you were saying, knowing your mark in a sense, so if it's professionals, if it's people coming on holiday, which in a sense almost relates me to my next question about um, change, changing the pricing. So if it was, how would you go about changing the pricing for uh, if it was different seasons, for example? So say you have an essay next to the beach, obviously it's going to be a lot busier during the summertime. Would you charge significantly more or how would you work around that basis? Yeah. So when you um, basically, obviously when you go on Airbnb, you'll get like just a mean price and it'll also give you the highs and the lows and it'll give you a nice graph of saying when the low period and what the high period is. So it's like the average in summer, the average in winter, but using price labs and I recommend every person I speak to about SA, I recommend using a price tool, whether it's, I know people still be used beyond pricing. I prefer price lab, but especially with the new market dashboards they've brought in. But using price labs just enables you to kind of set the base price, which is the medium price, set the lowest that you can actually charge. So insert, I'd normally go like just above your just above your lowest so that it won't ever charge your lowest. And that means gives you a bit of space in like direct booking terms. Um, something I learned early on was like, I put my lowest, my break even at 50%. So like if I only got bookings like at that price, I'd just break even. That's my lowest. Um, and then have my have my base price is the one I got off Air DNA slash from my research. And then my higher price, again, you can get that off price labs in Air DNA with those higher summer bookings and like literally leave price labs to do its work. It takes into account events, uh, like calendar. basically you use everyone else who doesn't use price labs to like do it for you. So like other people in the market who are changing their prices ultimately changes your prices because it goes off people in the area. So it scans Verbo and booking.com, takes the average prices and then reflects that um, onto your, basically onto your property. So, and it also a good thing is ultimately, it, it like if it's lower occupancy, then it'll like, it'll get you lower prices. And then it'll, once you start to ramp up occupancy, it'll put it up again as well. But like it takes into account the events, takes into account the summer, for example. And like one of the main, main things about that is, yeah, just, I'd say, using price labs and just letting it do its work. Like if you want it to be passive, there's no point going in and out, like changing it all and um, using a pricing software and just playing around, prowling around with those prices, like highs and lows. Um, but yeah, for sure. Use that. Yeah, definitely. And I think like you're saying, that's really, really important. And on the basis of the fact that the lowest you charge is when you break even, how, how has that been throughout COVID? Because obviously during the start of the, lockdown when everyone was in a national lockdown you couldn't really um like perform as a business but almost coming out of it into this weird time how has how has your business been surviving there has it been quite low has the demand been quite high yes yeah, so with the initial lockdown ultimately we went straight to the nhs and managed to get some long-term bookings in the unit that we had at the time um and the prices were low but because it was direct um because we actually done them a really good deal but it was still a good deal for us as well 
like we weren't ripping them off we wanted to help out but we, we definitely still were profiting which is really nice um and profiting like a good amount to be honest because of council tax they have to pay that because it got cut and like all these bills that we had before were no longer there like we only had we had a three-bed property um which one person was staying in because they had to isolate on their own and we were getting paid a, a pretty good nightly rate for it like higher than my break even but also it was full for the whole of lockdown so that means obviously we're at 100 occupancy so the profits there um but i think what was interesting is obviously when we came out of lockdown july august september like wow like then that's when i saw the potential of sa obviously it was my first summer in sa because we started in november 2019 and like we were just literally 95 percent occupancy great rates most revenue we ever had obviously because we've only started november 19 but i was like that's where i was like wow that's what sa is about like that moment there we had um two units at a time two getting set up and literally the two got set up the first two weeks were booked and then the two units that we had literally were just back-to-back bookings the whole way through um but now now we're going back into like a lockdown like a bit of a lockdown phase but um and ah um ultimately november is always i think i think obviously it's my first october november but i do think that having spoken to people in the past these are the, the like the two toughest months um in terms of like essay bookings anyway so for people to start to go into lockdown as well so it makes it harder but it's just about what you can do to fill the rooms ultimately the rates can be lower anyway but as long as they were still hitting occupancy rates of 65 75 percent and that's still making us a good profit for this time and ultimately because we made so much in July August, it's not so much of like i like ultimately for me it's like if we can just ride out ride out these weird ebbs and flows or whatever um it's a weird time and it's just about doing as much as you can to get the direct bookings and i think um ultimately we have seen a drop it's weird i mean we see a drop one week and then there's a spike the next week in bookings it's very all over the place but we have some direct bookings in at the moment and that's kind of just like providing that security so going back to the base of the question yeah it has been very weird but it's been eye-opening as well and it's back to that trial and everything i think you can just like see what works i think you're, i'm always learning um i think everyone is like no matter where you're at and you're ultimately that's the that's the place to be isn't it like always learning i think yeah just embracing it like i don't know all the answers but i'm finding out kind of on a day-to-day thing as i always think like as long as i do the most i can to try and get as many bookings as possible then i'm happy because it's probably going to happen eventually you know so yeah yeah exactly and it's just like like you're saying just trial and error with the whole thing especially since it's your um your first year and whatnot so moving on to almost the finance side of things obviously you were saying this is your first october and november where it seems to almost be the quiet periods how do you go about surviving that do you keep more cash in the bank so you can pay those bills when the um when the occupancy isn't as high and yeah how do you almost survive it in it Oh, how do you how are you planning to sorry yeah. yeah yeah for sure well ultimately we're in a, um the it's it goes back to the occupancy rates again so like worst case not like the lowest price that i charge at 50 percent occupancy our properties are most likely going to be booked up at that price but i'm not at the moment i'm not marketing that price yet because we still have bookings coming in and we still have the occupancy rate ultimately like the at the moment it's we're still getting bookings filtering in okay it's a bit slower but it's like taking opportunities when they come so when you do get the potential for another direct booking or you just push a bit harder on the direct booking front so like message more companies keep in touch with the nhs just in case but i think it's just like yeah preparing for the worst and like 
yes, okay, we have some cash reserves, but ultimately I'm still trying to grow because there's so many opportunities out there. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think it's one of them. It's a bit of a caveat, really, because you've got, okay, the bookings might slow down into lockdown. Okay, actually, there's a lot of landlords who want properties rented. And it's like weighing up how it's just pushing so hard to like, how can you fill the units? And at the moment, it's like, I don't think we're in a situation where it's like a crisis at the moment. Um, if we went back into another lockdown, it'd be a case of, okay, what can we do here to, obviously, like you say, like not have as much of a damage. But at the moment, the calendars look pretty good, so we should be fine. Um, but yeah, in terms of like cash reserves, I think like ultimately each month, good cash comes in, good cash flow comes in anyway. Um, and obviously, we're still riding the wave from July slash August. But like my, in my eyes, it's like I want to grow as fast as possible. And like ultimately, if I've got more skin in the game, it's going to push me even harder to get the direct bookings in. I'm a bit of like a gung ho like, guy like that. And like it's good, it's good. But like I've got the business partners to tame me sometimes. But like, yeah, I think I always just think, yeah, if I've got that much skin in the game, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna push even harder to get the bookings in for sure. But at the moment, it's all we're touch wood, we're all, we're all looking good. So. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you were just saying then that you, your plans are to almost grow as significantly as possible, but you don't really want to push too hard now because you don't see where the market's going. So, how do you plan to almost work around that in a sense that obviously you want to grow as quickly as possible? but you don't want to get a few more deals for the market to just drop as soon as you buy it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so on the rent to SA front, it's uh, I've got the goals anyway for to get three more this year. And like that is based off what cash we have to do that first off. And then also like realistically what we can do. Obviously, I could be like, right, let's get as many deals as possible. Let's get like 10 through the door and it'd just be a bit pointless, to be honest. But like it's right, okay, three, that's once a month want to get one deal and we get enough like currently with the bookings we have there's enough cash for there to do that um and also like with the investors we have so it's kind of like in terms of that it's just yeah being realistic with your goals i think like our goal was to get eight units in our first year by the end of this year we're on six at the moment so it's only two more if we get three more then met our goals and, and we've got the cash like the cash flow to do it and the cash in the reserves so i think yeah it's just there's being gung-ho and then there's like yeah it's being realistic with your goals still i think that's another thing like a lot of people will yeah could be like um i can get loads of units and stuff and then it's actually like by doing that you end up might actually get not that many try and focus on getting those like first few through the door and then try and like yeah just stick to your goals and like i guess that's that prioritized thing like what's going to be if if i haven't got a unit this month right that's the next big game what's the units we got are full, cool. What can I do to get that unit? What do I need to do? Yeah, it's just it's just about being sensible with it and setting realistic goals that you can achieve and um, grow sustainably and as quickly but as good as possible. So, yeah, obviously we know that you're really big on your systems with um, all your businesses and I guess you sort of have to be with the, the sailing as well so to make sure that you don't have to do all all the admin work which can take a lot of time so yeah what systems do you sort of have in place for your businesses at the moment yeah so like there's obviously this this is like a, one of those questions where like you, there's so many bit systems out there and like it's one like everyone wants something different and everyone tries every different thing so like but first of all before we get started like if it doesn't work for you that system then just like change it like 
try it for a little bit. And if it's not quite right, then change it. Cause this is going to be something that you're going to stick with for a long time. So it's like making sure it's something that, yeah, you like actually like. So for me, like I love Trello. I got introduced to my, my mentor and like, I've talked to you guys about it before. I absolutely love it. It's like, it's quite new. It's quite modern. It looks nice. It's nice to look at. It's very visual, which is cool. And it also like, integrates with like loads of stuff. So pretty much all of our business is apart from like a channel manager and like obviously airbnbbooking.com, but most of our businesses are run straight, literally our two are literally on Trello and all of that's on there. So the SA booking pipeline's on there, direct booking board's on there. You've got SA acquisition board, which is the pipeline on there. You've got the deal pack, the deal sourcing and our actual own investment boards, the pipeline on there. Refer pipelines can go on there. Investor pipelines can go on there. Like, We've got like literally everything on the SA, SA maintenance boards on there. And the, the good thing about Trello is you can add so many p- different people to different boards. You can link them to forms. You can link it to your Gmail. You can literally be like dragging them across the net. You can move them across the different stages. And like, you can just go into this, like you can just create your own system. And that's what I loved about it. I think like my mentor showed me when, I, when we set up the SA business, how versatile Trello was in that, okay, everyone looks at it as a pipeline system. But who's to say it can't be a CRM system? Like you can make it your own. That's what I love about it. And obviously there's CRM systems in place to do that. And like a lot of people have told me before, like, why don't you get a CRM or whatever? Or why don't you just get this or that? And it comes back to literally how you want to work. Like I love Trello. I love building systems and I love how like versatile it is and how it integrates with everything. Like you get Trello, Zapier and the form website and you can literally do loads with it. And like, I think like, um, for me, it's just the massive one about systems is find someone who's good at it and talk to them and just be like, what do they use? Try it out for a bit. And like, there's so much free information out there that I like, I think anyone could get. I mean, anyone could just come talk to me about systems. I'd love to share on it. So it's kind of just, it's just, yeah, finding someone who doesn't just talk the talk about systems. I think there's a lot of people out there who talk about it and then they end up using a system that probably they don't like that much themselves. But for me, it's just, something that's versatile that I enjoy using. I think that's what everyone needs. Something that you're actually going to use because it's pointless having in place if you're not going to use it. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And I think, like you said, there is so many different CRM systems out there and it's just about like trial and error and making sure you are happy with the one that you're using, especially if it's something you're going to be paying for as well because you don't want to be paying for something that, you're only using for a few things so yeah and I I think Trello like you said we've sort of spoken about Trello and we um, use that for our business as well now and I think the reason that is so good is because you can like you said sort of create it to how you want it and I guess with a lot of other CRMs I don't know if you've experienced this but because they've already sort of been built, you have to learn about that and that's what takes the time. Whereas if you build it yourself, you know that inside out and uh, you can just use it a lot better. So, yeah. And like another thing, yeah, it's like the CRM side of things. It's like, so it's customer relationship management software, like system, whatever. It's like, who are your customers as well? Like, like who are your client bases? For example, like for our property sourcing, we really like to be pretty bespoke in that. So we have six very active investors that are like keen to invest. 
we want to grow that and have more keen investors, but we won't take anyone who's not that, not just going to act on it straight away. So in reality, I don't need that big of a CRM. I don't need like something that can hold a hundred names and mail and like mail mail them all. You know, I just need something that when I want to send a deal, I can send it out to six people or one or two that might want to purchase it instead. And I think like especially with anything like yeah, like you say, it's just so versatile. You build it yourself that it's just about yeah what you want out of a system and then you can just make it on Trello which is cool and like don't get me wrong there are some great systems out there it's just that's why I use Trello because you can make it yourself and you need something that you're going to use and I think if you make it yourself you end up using it which is cool yeah exactly yeah and I think it is just about working out what works best for you so yeah definitely um and in terms of obviously you've sort of touched on this briefly already but would you say it's important to have the majority or all of your sort of business and processes on one system? Or would you say it's better to have it spread out over, say, two or three systems? Yeah. So I'd say, like, personally, like, I like from experience, like more my, my year experience, whatever year and a bit experience so far, is um, I like it all to be in one place. And that's I've been even like Google Drive, for example. Like I've I've reorganized Google Drive so that it's all everything's just like actually in one place and actually all structured. Um having all of the boards on Trello makes it so much everything's just there. Um we had we used to have like podio stuff as well, and like I'm slowly migrating it back all just to Trello. And I think it's just it makes it very easy to know where everything is and like everyone's on the system, everyone sees it, you can just easily search it. Whereas if you had when you talk of like a system as such, like I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say like Ada Forms, which is a form website we use. That's not a system. Like that's just a website that you use, like which it, which is in your system. Um, so it's like just fine line between like what because like everything I do is not in one place. Like Google Drive, Gmail, form like the Ada Forms, and then to be fair, that's probably about it. But there's like a Mailchimp, for example, as well. But they all link to Trello, which is like as one, that's a system um so it's just like yeah I, I prefer to have it all in one place because it just means it was all organized um and I think it just provides a lot of structure and it's something I've like slowly gone towards I started off and I had all of these things I had like HubSpot I had Perio, I had this and that and then I realized that I could just do it all in one in Trello um or like you can, there are other things you can do all in one as well but it's just that's what I found and uh, that's what I would yeah I'd say it's all in one place makes it a lot easier, especially if I have a team of people. Yeah, definitely. And I think it makes it, obviously if you have that foundation from the start, it makes it so much easier to, to scale your business and take on either new investors. If you're working with investors or take on new units, if you do an essay. So yeah. Um, and obviously sort of moving on to, the business partner side of things obviously we know that your business partners are your family members so how did that sort of come about working with your family members and what tips would you have for someone before going into a business partnership with their family members because obviously it's a bit I guess it's got yeah. mixed opinions yeah. well for sure and I think I was pretty fortunate the fact that um my parents were into property anyway um so like my dad was very into it. my mum naturally did it at the same like together and like that was really cool 
I mean, even the fact when my sister graduated university from Exeter, which is the same uni I went to, she went straight to being a state agent because I was constantly exposed to obviously deals that my dad was doing in his own portfolio. So like flips, developments, whatever. But he was very much like you're going to do it on your own kind of thing. If you're going to do it, you're going to put some effort in kind of thing, which was cool. And I, I appreciate that so much. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, like the business partner side of things, it's just finding out like who you connect with, who you work with. Obviously, I connect with my family massively. And like when we're in a business, it is like business relationship rather than like family relationship. We know what each other's goals are and we know what each other is doing. And like, I'd say just, yeah, make sure it doesn't matter if it's your family or someone else. It's just make sure that you're both on the same page. You both have exactly like your same goals, or at least you know each other's goals. Um, you trust each other and it doesn't basically, if it doesn't work out, then there's no dramas and like you can move on and you've learned so much in that process. And I think it's just like, yeah, having a massive thing is just being open book, transparent on the same page and treating it. You are a business, like you're going to be mates, but you're here as a business at the end of the day. Um, and like making sure you have that line of just the alignment of goal, the business goals, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that is so key, making sure that you are on the same page. And obviously you're going to have disagreements. It's natural, but it's making sure, like you said, you can just, get over those quickly and um, make sure you, you are focusing and prioritizing actually moving the business forward. So yeah, that's um, a really good point. It was kind of just in a sense with partnerships and obviously you are with your family, but how did you come about finding who's good at what, who's bad at what, and just coming around to almost building up a team within your family, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like ultimately, I think this is a massive one, like working out, this is kind of like working out the roles in the company, isn't it? It's like, who's doing what? Like, ultimately, you don't want to force someone into doing something that they're not going to want to do. And like, that's, so unlike, because they're not going to do it to the best of their ability. Like, you don't want to just give people work that they're not going to enjoy. And I think it's massive, like, when you start to say about open book, it's like being honest, like, I'm, okay, we need to do that, but I don't like doing it. And then if they're like, I don't like doing it, and they're like, oh, I'm really good at that. Perfect, they need to do that. It's like, What's the goals of the business? Right, cool. What needs to get done? Right, who, what are like the main, the foundations of the business, whatever, the accounts, whatever, like find the investors, like, and then work out, okay, we fit in that, we fit in that one, we fit in that one. And then you'll get some stuff that not everyone likes. Like there might be some things that not two people like. You're like, right, okay, then we'll all do that. We'll all take a bit of our time out to do that. And I think that's something massive, like just not forcing things upon people, being like, we need to get that done. I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. They're going to do it. And then it's like, but they don't like doing it. It's like, if, if there's, there's going to be things that like pe both people don't like doing, it's either obviously outsourcing it or just splitting it between you. And I think it's like, it goes back to kind of the goals, that, like the goals of the company and then what are the foundations and then basically working, basically big picture, like working down, then getting it down to the nitty gritty of what people are good at. Like in our business, for example, my Obviously, me, I'm really good at systems and I physically can't do a lot of viewing because I'm never in the country or I'm not actually in our investment area, for example. So I'm not going to be doing the viewings, but I can do as many systems as I want. And I can email as many people and market as much as we need to. So I'll be doing that side naturally, like some things like forced, like not forced upon you, but have the natural progression like that. My sister was an estate agent, so it makes sense for us to do viewings, do photography of properties that we view and do all that side of thing and talk to estate agents like she knows how they work. And then my mom, she's amazing at interior design. It makes sense for her to do all the fit outs of the SA units. 
dad's an accountant, makes sense for him to do all the accounts. Like there's no point. And he's also managed a lot of properties. So it makes sense for him to do pro- like project management. And like naturally people are going to have the abilities. And I think what's cool when obviously we're in the Future Minds Network and stuff was starting out quite young, you don't quite know what your, your, like your actual like passion and property is going to be. I think that's quite cool as well because you can both just kind of start. And I think that's where it's even more like you need to be even more transparent in the fact that you're not, sometimes you're not going to enjoy doing something. And it, and then that, if the other person doesn't enjoy it either, perfect. Then you both have to do it together. And at least it's two of you working on it. I think it's just, yeah, like I say, like making sure everyone's doing what they love. Cause if they're going to do it, like they're going to do more of it and do it to a better ability. And it, ultimately the end products can be better. And like those things that people don't like just splitting it between you and or outsourcing it because that's the way to obviously get the best out of everyone. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you've kind of got a little dream team going on then because every, everyone seems to be fitting into the perfect puzzle, which is really, really good. And obviously that's just how you're going to grow your business to a, a big success, but obviously with your family, it can be quite difficult. So what are some of the downsides when working with your family and when say a disagreement does come up how would you resolve it would you have like a a meeting in a sense and hold a vote or whatnot but yeah, yeah how do you yeah. go about that no no for sure and i think yeah even with like whether it's family or not family it's disagreements will come in the business relationship and that's where it's kind of like treating it as business um and like it kind of makes it even like obviously the, the downside is that it's my family it's my sister i argue with her like i've argued with her in the past they used to annoy her or whatever and like so there's that side of it that it's very easy to argue with someone because it's like your sister. Whereas it's just kind of being, even like it's like your best mate or whatever, like it's being mature and it's like what it comes down to is ultimately what is the best for the business, not just that individual. And like it's going to, obviously we do call them, if there's a disagreement, we'll have a meeting. Um, but it's also just like trusting other people's instincts and having just a general discussion. Like disagreements happen all the time in life and you've got to get on with life, you know. And it's like, if you don't win, like, if you don't, whatever, you don't, the, the discussion comes out to be like, not what you suggest or whatever. It's not that it was wrong. It's just that it wasn't right for the business at that time. And like a good way to look at it is, yeah, take out the family. Situ- if you do work with your family, take out the family situation. What is the best for the business? And usually that aligns it pretty easily. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really smart. And again, trying not to take it personal in a sense, because you're almost trying to do what's better for the business in order in order for it to grow as quickly as possible. But um, yeah, moving on to that then, obviously you're really looking to just scale this as big as possible. So in the next five to 15 years, say, where do you want to be and what are your almost end goals within the property? Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, like, obviously in terms of like sailing wise in the next five years, I'll be, hopefully we'll have a gold medal hanging around my neck on me if we, if we get back on five years down the line, which would be pretty cool. Um. But in terms of like property stuff, like ultimately we want to grow the, like this is my personal goals for me. The SA business we want to grow. I don't know the exact number of units over the next, obviously I know it's short term. So we set 12 month goals, like monthly goals, like quarterly, 12 month quarterly, monthly, and then weekly. So that we're always on track getting towards that 12 month goal. But it's about growing the SA business big enough that I feel like when I get to say 25 units, which is like a number that I have, in my head and like we have as a business to get to um over the next two years so after after next year or whatever i feel like once i get to that i can better reevaluate where we want to go with that whether we want to at that point it will fully like it want i want it to be fully outsourced 
Um, and hopefully it will be because it will, should be able to. We need to get the VA on board. Um, but I feel like at that point, I might be like, oh, we'll take on, you know what? That was, now, we, now we have the ability to take on more units. So I wouldn't say there's any concrete in terms of the SA side of things, but I want to personally have a big enough passive income, income so that when I finish sailing, I can go straight into vital investments, um, increasing it, other people's, like basically increasing other people's wealth through property investment. That's always what I want to do. Like, like basically providing fixed returns, providing good returns for investment and just like doing the flips and my family doing by, and then building my own portfolio. The SA business was always for me is starting out, try and get as much cash flow as possible and get it to a point that it's outsourced. Cool. We can grow it if we want to, or we can now just focus on the buy to let as a family and like basically flip big developments. And obviously long-term that's where I want to go into big, like huge developments or whatever. And just like kind of see where it takes me. I'm pretty happy to get to a point once I've got the gold medal in Paris, whatever touch wood and stuff like that. It's like, once I've achieved those dreams, it's going to be quite a reevaluation for me. And I think there's going to be a point I'll be like, right, where are we at? And it'd be cool to like, look back like, on like now and see how far we've grown. But I think there's no, there's the concrete goals are there in terms of the SA side of things, the property source inside, ultimately that's, it's very bespoke at the moment. And my ideal, like oh, we're building our fixed return investors rather than our property sourcing. Um, it's a lot better for us in terms of just providing that fixed return guaranteed. And I, I kind of prefer that because it's a lot more hands-on for us. Um, and ultimately it'll build my portfolio long-term and that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Um, we have our we have our goals in the team, but ultimately, the gold medal on Paris is all that's on my mind at the moment, and building the SA so I have enough cash flow that when I do finish sailing, I'll have be able to just carry on with the building my own portfolio or family portfolio, I guess. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, there there's some amazing goals, and obviously, like you said, the uh, the gold medal in Paris <laughs> is the main one, and I think it should be because. Um, yeah, coming away from the Olympics with a gold many gold medal, not many people uh, get to say they've done that. So yeah, that that would be amazing if you could do that, um, and look look forward to watching you in it as well. So yeah, hopefully um, <laughs> COVID. Jeez. Yeah, let's let's hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of yeah, so obviously we're sort of coming to the end of the interview now so if you could go back and give your younger self three top tips what would they be how far are we talking because i would have loved to buy some tesla shares i reckon yeah. <laughs> as many of them as i could have and then i would have sold them all i'd, I'd probably have kept them but um in terms of yeah actually like, top tips to give myself like uh i said I basically had to think about this and like well, my first tip would be to be over the university. Obviously I was at university. I think I could have probably like started a bit earlier. Um, I don't really regret anything as such. Like I lo- absolutely loved everything I did. I just think I had a lot of spare time at uni. I don't think I utilized it as much as I could have. I reckon I could have actually been actively like analyzing deals and stuff. But at the time I didn't know that I wanted to do it then and I had a lot more plates. So I think, a lot of you can start. I think something that Future Minds has shown a lot as well. You can start a lot earlier than you think. Um, at least you can start, you know, mock like analysis and just getting into it a bit more. Um, and then also with that was like the investing side of things. I've started investing 
over the past year. And it's literally been the classic. I read, obviously read The Intelligent Investor. Um, and it's like a little bit, every time I get a bit of income, I invest a bit more. And I think if I'd done that at the start of when I was younger, um, when I was like 16 or whatever, my investment, my investing portfolio would be way bigger than it is now. Um, I think that's a massive one. So yeah, the investing a bit earlier or start a bit earlier. Um, I would have said like start read a bit more as well. So like now I'm avid read. I absolutely love it. I read a minimum of 20 pages a day, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's enough to get me. I, I find time to do it. And um, they're like 20 pages is like religiously 10 in the morning, 10 at night. And then the rest is just bonus. Um, I think, yeah, read more. I was like always when I was younger, it was like I never read as much as I did. And like, it's not only like the, obviously the gain from like learning more. It's just, it's like, there's so you can get so much out of books and it's actually very peaceful as well like it it's very like we took we spoke about chilling out earlier like something for me to switch off is like reading is massive and i've only realized that in the past like i'd say probably like year and a bit i mean i never read a book until um like university like never read a book back to back except for obviously like year two with the the tiny books but an actual an actual book back to back and like i think that's like a massive one um just reading is like it helps you so much in life um, with everything. I, I love self-help help books, psychology books and investment books and money books and whatever, but like you get so much from them. Um, so I definitely say read more. And then the last one was like, basically like, don't be afraid of rejection. So like, just don't be afraid of getting like people saying no, like, especially at the start. Um, I get a lot. It's like, it's rejection. And then also other people saying stuff as well. Like, don't be first off in the property business. You're going to get rejected a lot, whether that's from estate agents, from investors, from anyone, anyone you meet in the street, whatever, like directs vendors, people are going to say, piss off, whatever. Like they're not going to like you for it, whatever. Like don't be afraid of rejection. Everyone like go for no, you know, the, the book, like, which is like really cool. Like every no, every knock on the door is like one step closer to a door that opens or a yes. So like, perfect. Just got rejected again. Right. I'm one step closer to a yes. Like, and that's something, especially being young um, and being new to it all, I like, I think everyone struggles a little bit unless you've got like, unless you're like Iron Man or you've got like a shield around you. It's like, yeah, you do, you do get a bit lethargic. And I remember I'd done so many, analyzed so many deals, got rejected by so many people. When I'm in a place that actually would get like, it feels like we're getting momentum. And it's like the class, that's another thing, like the classic, once you start building that momentum and just repetitive, like, the compound basically the compound effect like just once it starts going when the wheels start turning on the, on the locomotive it just keeps going uh, and i think yeah so don't be afraid of rejection and then like a little spin off on that it's just like don't be afraid of what everyone else says like you're gonna get a lot of stick for it especially if you're young like you're doing things that other people aren't going to be doing um you're putting yourself out there on social media you're like you know you're starting your own business like not many people do that and it's just like embrace it you know, the haters are going to hate and just enjoy it, you know, like enjoy the process of learning because you are going to learn loads and like ultimately you do it, you do only live once and yeah, it's the classic saying of like when you get to the end of your life, like make sure the film's worth watching if it flashes before your eyes. So, you know, don't be afraid just to get out there and start and yeah, you know, don't be afraid of what people say. Just do it for yourself. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, there there's some really, really good tips and I think... Yeah, they're all great. And that that last one, 
really does apply when you are young because like you said you I mean for anyone just getting started in something when just if you come from like a, a background where you've not not like a sales background you probably haven't had a lot of rejection in your life and then if you're going to go straight into property you're going to probably make a lot of phone calls get a lot of no's and the amount of no's that you get compared to the yeses will probably be a lot higher and even if you do sort of say keep going to yourself it does have that sort of effect on you um mentally so yeah I think that's a really good point and it's just about like you said keep pushing through and if you have that long-term view because obviously sort of I'm sure you went through that period like you said where you were getting rejected so many deals that you analyzed and then now you've just sort of you got that first deal and then it's just snowballed from there so yeah I think that's a, a really really good point Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like you said, it's just don't be afraid of rejection. Just keep pushing on. Like, think back to what the what the goal is at the end of the day. Why are you doing what you're doing, and just keep pushing on. Because yeah, get yourself on social media and just yeah, enjoy yourself. Like, you know, and enjoy the process. Like, every single call you make is another learning point. You know, like, you know, and just yeah, don't be afraid of rejection. Just keep going. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, finally, then, is there? Any special mentions that you want to give to anyone? No, yeah, basically, yeah. Shout, shout out to the family. Shout out to Dave Bennett. I worked with him for so long, and like, it's been a great, it's been a great journey. I think just yeah. Um, my final mentions, yeah, just basically the family. I couldn't do it without you. So, cheers for that. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, well, it's been brilliant to have you on today, Dan. Um, really, really enjoyed it, and I think the your sort of perspective on business and the way that you've gotten into it um and obviously what you're doing with your sailing is it's a lot different to how most people sort of approach business so yeah um i think we've covered off some really really good topics and really enjoyed it it's been a great chat so yeah massive thank you for coming on perfect thank you for having me on i appreciate it it's been fun And that's the end of that episode, guys. We hope you all enjoyed and were all able to take something away from it. Essay, again, like we said, isn't something we're too familiar with, but it's definitely something we're interested in now. If you guys did enjoy the video, definitely be sure to leave a rating and review below. But until next time, we'll see you next week.